Let's pray this morning. Our Father, we thank you so much that you are the God who is in heaven and you rule over all things. God, you know all things. You are all wise and all powerful. And yet, God, you are closer than our very breath. God, you know our hearts and the things that we wrestle with, the things that we, we struggle with. And so this morning, God, we pray that the meditations of your word would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that you would stir within us the hope that we have only in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray that if any way that we are wayward or struggling, that God, that we might return to you and hear the words of life. That is the only thing that can give us hope. We thank you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. So have you ever had anybody say to you that you're the spitting image of your mother or father or maybe an aunt or an uncle or, or some other relative? Now, it may be that you look like them, but maybe in saying that, maybe they're talking more about your mannerisms or your speech or, or something else. Well, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but as Christians, we had the privilege of being made over in the image of Christ. So we are to be the spitting image of our Heavenly Father. We know that God doesn't have a body like we do as people, but He has created us to reflect His image and, and His care and His character. And, and throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, we, we have uh, seen Solomon talking about this thing of wisdom. That's been a recurring theme that's, that's been coming. And especially as we think about heavenly wisdom, we realize that to possess heavenly wisdom is to reflect the character of God. Because Christ is really wisdom personified. You know, it's, it's wisdom, kids, that's uh, come in flesh and blood. If, you know, if you said, well, what does, I read the book of Proverbs and I read all these things and it's good, but what does that look like in everyday life? What does that look like as I live life in my home, as I go to work, as I go to school? What does that look like? And, and Christ is uh, the personification of that wisdom. But Christ does more than just give us an example. He, he has come that we might be wise. And James even commands us in, uh, that, uh, that if we lack wisdom, we should ask for it. Why? That we might be like Christ. And so now as we come to chapters 9 and then now into chapter 10, we see Solomon speaking again in wisdom, but he does so in, in, a, in a somewhat confusing way. I mean, it's like he has all these different proverbs, all these nuggets of wisdom. But you look at this and you say, now, how do these things connect with one another? It can be a very confusing passage, um, but we're asking that the Holy Spirit would apply these things to our, our hearts and our lives this morning uh, as we look at his word. So. The preacher begins this morning by sort of setting the stage and talking about wisdom and folly. And, and really, the chapter seems to take on the, the, the demeanor that he's really talking more about folly and con contrasting that with wisdom. So he makes that distinction between the two in verses 1 through 3. And he begins by talking about how wisdom and folly are distinct and, and even how a little bit of folly can ruin wisdom. Look at verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. 
Now, you can just imagine this, this perfumer making his beautiful perfume. You know, Solomon wants us to have this imagery in our mind that wisdom is sweet. It's, it's like a fragrant perfume, but as the perfumer is making his batch of perfume, maybe some, some flies die and fall in there, or maybe they're attracted to the scent or to the sweetness of it, and they get down in it. I don't know if those of you that like to drink coffee, especially if you like a lot of cream, I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but sometimes you sort of lose your coffee cup, and uh, you can't remember where you placed it, and you come back and you finally find it somewhere in the house, and you look in it, and you get ready... And you realize it's cold, but you look inside and there's flies in that coffee. Well, that just pretty much ruins it. Just takes one fly is all. Even though the fly's little, that's it's gone. Well, it's the same way here. He says that it ruins the whole batch. But not only does it ruin it, but uh, it says folly stinks. And and Solomon wants us to see that you know it, it it just takes just a little bit. It only takes one rash word or one rude remark or one hasty decision. Or one foolish pleasure, indulging in one foolish pleasure, or one angry outburst, one act of folly to sort of ruin that wisdom. It's, it's the idea that something small can out, uh, outdo something that is, is larger. You know, and how often have we experienced that? That we have gone out of our way to do something kind for someone. Kids, I don't know if you've ever done this or not. But our kids would sometimes serve Robbie breakfast in bed. It was quite an interesting thing. But they would come in with this tray with some coffee and, and, and what looked sort of like food, you know, and they would bring it in and, and uh, they would give it to her. And they were so proud and they, they worked really hard to, to do this for their mom. But sometimes they might have ruined it. I don't think my wife would say they ruined it. She, she has such a gracious heart. But sometimes they come in sort of fighting and bickering. No, give me the tray. I got the tray. Let me do it. You know, here, let me put this here. And you're like, okay, guys, you worked so hard. You did this great thing. But now with your attitude of your heart, you know, you, you sort of ruined that. And so we can, we can sort of all relate to that. And that's what folly is like. And with it, when it's mixed with wisdom, it's sort of a bad smell. I was trying to think of something that would be a bad smell that we could think about. And I guess I was thinking, what if, what if you took and you took some little pieces of raw chicken, maybe some scraps, and you were cooking dinner and you had a little bit of scraps from raw chicken and you threw it in the trash can. And then you thought, OK, I'll take that out in a minute. And then you get busy with the meal and you do that and you get doing your evening activities, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, you come out in the kitchen and, oh, man, they stinks. But that's what, that's what Solomon wants us to see that folly is like. And young people, kids, I want you to hear this particularly because I don't think that in our culture, folly is always viewed that way. As a matter of fact, folly is oftentimes something that's laughed at. If people sort of act in a foolish way, it's sort of uh, uh, an opportunity. It, sometimes it's the theme of sitcoms and stuff like that. And sometimes even our world, especially in movies and TV, celebrates foolishness. You may see teenagers on a TV show that vandalize something or do some other cruel, foolish thing. And they get away with it. And it's viewed as a big joke, as something that's funny. But Solomon wants you to see, no, actually it's something that stinks. It's something that's awful. Now, let me just talk to you a little bit about what folly is, because uh, it's really important that we understand that. Because I think sometimes as Christians, 
you know, we understand the difference of distinguishing between good and evil. And we know that some things are morally right and while other things are morally wrong. So we, we try to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing. But and, th- and this is good as far as it goes. But the problem is, is that sometimes in our choices, it, it's not a difference between good and evil, but between wisdom and folly. And, and a fool in the biblical sense is not maybe how we use that term. We might talk about somebody being a fool as uh, they're maybe below average intelligence. And a, and a fool in the Bible actually could be very smart. A fool in the, in, in the biblical sense could be somebody that's rather wealthy and successful. And somebody you look at and you might say, hey, I want to be like that. Because the way that the Bible uses the term fool is someone who lacks a proper fear of God. Somebody whose life is really at the center of their existence. And, and they really say, as Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So therefore, the fool is, is, is prone to go the wrong direction in life. And that's what we see in verse 2. Uh, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, in our culture, this doesn't make sense. Because you're saying, what's he doing? Slamming left-handed people? Is that what he's saying? If you go left, that's that's the wrong way. Um, or or is he talking politically? You know, you're you're right, so you're conservative. If you're left, you're liberal. No, it's not any of that kind of stuff. But in biblical days, the idea of right, like just like Christ sitting on the right hand of the Father, that was an exalted place. That was a place of authority, a place of of power. Uh, but to go left would, was sort of the idea of going astray. And they said that a wise man's heart inclines him to go to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. So the, the wise and the foolish go down different paths. And, and not only that, but the fool goes down the wrong path. And when the preacher says that the fool is on the left, um, he wants us to understand that he is a person that's going down the wrong direction of life. The, the wise person follows after God and trusts and obey him. But the fool, on the other hand, is characterized by really impulsive disobedience, uh, very arrogant, oftentimes about himself. He neglects the holiness of God because he's reckless. And, and Solomon says that all of that comes from the person's heart. It's because of what they have set their heart upon. And then he says, uh, not only that, not only does a little bit of foolishness sort of, you know, taint the wisdom and that, you know, foolishness is really going down a different path. But he also says that you can really tell whether a person is being wise or foolish by the words and, and the deeds that they do. Look at verse 3. He said, even when the fool walks on the road, sort of signifying the idea of their, their lifestyle, he, he's, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Now, don't think that what he's saying here is, is that the, wool, the fool walks around saying, I'm a fool, I'm a fool, I'm a fool. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He doesn't have a T-shirt that says, you know, rejoice, I'm a fool. I mean, you know, it doesn't have anything like that. But what he's saying is, is that by the way he speaks, he lets everyone know that he's a fool. And also by the way that he lives his life. And, and Solomon has talked throughout this book of Ecclesiastes about the fool from time to time. He's talked about how a fool is lazy in Ecclesiastes 4, 5. 
He's talked about how he's bad-tempered, how he's grouchy, grumpy, fussy. I don't know what other word you might use. But you know people like this, don't you? That no matter what the circumstances are, they're just irritable. They just are very frustrated with people around them. And, and maybe that's something that, that, you, that we wrestle with as well. But that it's like they're not satisfied because they are sort of the center of their universe. And if anybody does anything to disrupt that, it irritates them greatly. Um, also, a fool is talked about in chapter 9, verse 17, as, as someone who refuses to take advice. So by a person's actions and words, the fool demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. But what is oftentimes the case is that a fool doesn't understand that he is a fool. Did you hear that? That a fool doesn't understand oftentimes that he is actually acting foolishly. Which ought to ask or cause us to ask ourselves, which way are our hearts leaning? You know, is our heart leaning toward God or is our heart leaning away from God? You know, it's, it's oftentimes not the case that a person is completely wise or completely foolish. You know, as he sort of talks about here, there's oftentimes a mixture. But, but always there is the inclination of the heart towards a certain direction. Do you have a growing appetite for the word of God? Or does the Bible taste stale? Are, are, are you moving toward or away from God in prayer? Do you enjoy that intimacy with him or is prayer just something that's like, OK, well, I just can't wait till this is over with so I can go on and do the things I want to do. Are you getting more serious about your sin or have you stopped pursuing personal sanctification and given yourself into the lust of your heart? You know, oftentimes many people want to know which way to go in life and they're looking for direction. And 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 Solomon reminds us not only here, but like in the book of Proverbs. Uh, what is the right direction? In Proverbs 1, verse 7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So he tells us that we need to avoid folly and seek after wisdom. But he also tells us how we are to respond to folly in the lives of others by giving us examples of, of wisdom and folly. And particularly, he seems to be emphasizing a, a, a life of foolishness. So let's look at these verses in, chapter, in um, 5 through 15. First of all, he talks in verses 5 through 7 about foolishness in leadership. He says, There is an evil that I see under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places. And... In other words, there are foolish people who work their way into positions of leadership, whether that be government, whether that be maybe at your work. Maybe you know of someone who's a supervisor that seems to exhibit sort of a, a, a foolishness. Maybe it's at your school. Unfortunately, maybe it's even in the church that we see such leadership. And oftentimes such leadership is completely incompetent to lead. Others use their position for personal advantage. They're more interested in status and, and, and having a reputation than they are in serving. And yet sometimes by the time we see and understand that a, a leader is foolish and expose that, the damage is already done. And, but haven't you known leaders like that, that you have said to yourself, if you haven't said it out loud, you've said it in your head, how did this person ever get to this position of leadership? 
I can't believe this. You know, they, they just seem to be uh, foolish in the way that they handle things. And when the wrong person gets into power, everything gets turned upside down. And, and the preacher says in verse 5 that errors in leadership produce evil for the followers. It's a very difficult place to be. And even at the end of the chapter, he talks about that. If you have foolish leaders who are drinking in the morning and partying and feasting in the morning, woe is you. But blessed are you if you have a leader of nobility and one... That cares for you. So, so you see that sense of foolishness in leadership. But he also talks about foolishness in terms of, of planning. Uh, it's, it's interesting. He starts out with the idea of leadership. I think we can all easily look at those in leadership around us. It's so easy to criticize people in leadership, right? Uh, that, that's a hard place to be is in a position of leadership. And so we can look at that, though, and I think we can see the foolishness uh, all around us, and we can all agree, yes, I see that foolishness and leadership. But then Solomon brings us much closer to home, and he says, well, what about you, though? What about the way you live your life? And so he talks about planning. He says in verses 8 and 9, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Now, the, the ESV says he who digs a pit will fall into it, or a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. The New American Standard takes a little bit different uh, take on that and talks about how he who digs a pit may fall into it. And... So there's a different, several different ways you could, you could translate this. The preacher could be referring to someone who is just going about their work. They dig pits for a living for whatever reason, or they break out walls to expand buildings or whatever. Uh, they work with, uh, with stones or they work with axes or swords or things like that. And as a result of that, they encounter injury. And, and that cer certainly is true in life, but I think that this interpretation doesn't seem to have fit the immediate context. I think the ESV actually is a, a better translation here when he talks about he who digs a pit will fall into it. Because it seems that Solomon is speaking of those who intentionally set out to bring harm to others. That they're acting in a foolish way that's very selfish and that would hurt others. And he's talking about how instead they will receive poetic justice. They'll, they'll fall into their own trap. They may be knocking out a wall to expound their boundaries and, and, and take over some of their neighbor's uh, real estate. And so as they break out that wall, what happens is, is that they're bitten by a serpent. You see, for every folly, there's an equal and opposite self-destruction. And I recognize that's not always evident right away. And it doesn't happen to, to every single person. But, but how often the addict seems, um, seeks the, the calmness of another drink or, or to take a, a drug to, to try to you know, endure and get through things. But they end up just sort of wasting away. Or, or what about one who lusts and wants sexual pleasure, but by gratifying their desires out of the bounds of holy matrimony, they end up very spiritually unsatisfied. Maybe the selfish husband or wife who wants to have things his or her own way, but in time, and, and trying to get that, ruins the relationship they have. Or maybe an angry parent who wants to control, but that 
the, the anger and the emotions that exist in that household just causes everyone to, to, to shrivel up. You see those consequences that come back upon the foolish. And young people, I want you to hear this. Because in our culture, foolishness is sort of exalted. You can think, ha, 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 this is just funny when people do stupid things. Or when they do things that don't honor the Lord. But God wants us to understand that foolishness has consequences. But there is a wiser and a safer way to live. But it takes patience. A fool is oftentimes rash. A fool oftentimes does not think. But if you look at verses 10 and 11, Solomon says, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom help one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. When you look at verse 10, it seems to compare wisdom with a, a sharpened blade. It, because it takes more strength to wield an axe or a sword when the blade is dull. And, and to cut something in two, a man has to just keep hacking away at it. Um, yet, this is exactly the way that oftentimes foolish people live. They keep flailing away at their relationships and at their work and, and things like that. Oftentimes, making things a, a, a greater mess. And it would be wiser to sharpen the edge of the blade so it could just slice through whatever it's chopping in a single blow. And if we are wise, therefore, we will take the time to prepare the blade. And so living wisely may take more time at the beginning, just like it would take more time to sharpen your blade before you went out to chop wood. Uh, but it oftentimes saves time in the long run. And so there's that sense of, of preparation, of thinking ahead and planning. But then in verse 11, which can you know, be sort of a challenge in and of itself to interpret it. It does seem to be making almost the opposite point. In verse 11, it talks about the danger in acting too slowly. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. Uh, once a snake is charmed, it can be under the control. But until that happens, if the charmer procrastinates, then the snake bait may, may bite. So it's important for the snake charmer to get busy and charm the snake before it bites. And in much the same way, the, the fool, the foolish delay will, will come back to bite you. And if you sort of look at these two verses together, they, they seem to show us that wisdom from God is something that thinks through decisions. You know, um, we need to act uh, sometimes and prepare and plan, but other times we need to act before it's too late. And so wisdom comes in knowing the difference. It's, it's doing everything in its proper time, in its proper season, as Ecclesiastes talks about. So, so we see that those examples of, of folly and wisdom and leadership and, and planning, but also in, in our speech, in our talk, in verses 12 through 15. He says, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of fool consume him. You know, if the mouth only speaks what's in the heart, hear this, if the mouth only speaks what's in the heart, then every time we say something, we either reveal wisdom or we reveal folly that's inside in our hearts. One or the other is going to come out and it's going to show which is predominantly there. Well, wisdom chooses each word carefully the words of a fool, though, are not so wise. 
It's interesting that, like I said, Solomon spends more time talking about the fool than the wise. Uh, and maybe presumably because speech is, is a difficult area of sanctification for most of us. You know, it's interesting that James, when we were preaching through James in chapter 3, verse 2, it says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. But that's not where most of us live. We really struggle with the words that we speak. And so Koheleth mentioned several danger areas for fools in terms of their speech. He said, first of all, in verse 12, that it's self-destructive oftentimes. When he opens his mouth to say something, his words sort of turn around to come back to harm him. And there are many ways that words can destroy. You know, sometimes a fool says something that, that gets him in trouble. Uh, otherwise, other, word, other times, his rice words make someone else angry and maybe they lash out and they destroy the fool. Or maybe sometimes a fool says something that, that ruins a relationship. Uh, he carelessly maybe reveals something that he should not have said, that he should have left unsaid. But once it's been said, there's nothing you can do to get it back. And, and there's a whole lot, many more examples. Uh, but the preacher gives us one specific example at, the, at verse 20. He says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your force, your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. In other words, Solomon says, be careful what you say. Sooner or later, what we say to one person will get repeated to another person with varying degrees of accuracy. I mean, we've, we've all done that little game of telephone where you have one person started out and they say something and they say it to the person beside them and then to the person beside them. And then you have the last person you say, okay, what did the first person say? And it's oftentimes something totally different. It's not usually just a word off, but it's just like a whole different concept. And, and when we speak and we say things, we never know how that's going to be conveyed. Once the words leave our mouths, we lose control over where they go or how they're going to be conveyed. And if the wrong word reaches the ear of the wrong person, then there may be serious repercussions and consequences. But the fool doesn't take that to heart. So they're self-destructive. But they're also evil in what they say. And that's what verse 13 talks about. You know, it's, it's, it's a sort of a downward spiral to the language of a fool. It's not only foolish talk, but it even describes it as evil madness, which is a phrase that talks about moral depravity, something that's evil or wicked. So we need to be careful in what we say, but not only what we say, but also what we teach our kids to say as well. And, and I appreciate Paul Tripp. He actually wrote a book called War of Words. And if words are something that's a challenge for you, I would encourage you to get that book uh, if you can. But he actually asked several questions in there sort of to challenge us to see what is the motivation of our heart regarding our words. And I think this is good not only for parents with their kids, training them in their home, but even in the church as well. As we have our covenant children that we could help them to speak in a way that would honor the Lord and to help them to see what is coming out of their heart. So he asked such questions like this. How much of what we say is coming out of impatience and unkindness? How much of what we say is coming out of impatience and, and unkindness? How often are words spoken out of selfishness and personal desires. How often are words spoken out of selfishness 
and personal desires. That never happens in our household. How easily do outbursts of anger occur? You know, how often do you see those outbursts of anger that, that rise up? How often uh, do we bring up past wrongs? How often do we bring up past wrongs? Do we sort of, you know, share other people's sins and things? How do we fail to communicate hope? How do we fail to communicate hope? Maybe you're a person that you worry a lot or you're sort of uh, like uh, Winnie the Pooh. You're sort of like the Eeyore character. Everything has a negative view to it. It's almost like God is not sovereign. He does not sit on his throne. Satan is sovereign and supreme and everything is woe is me. Uh, How do you fail to protect in your words? How do you fail to protect? And how often do our words carry threats that we've had it? And we're about to quit. It's sort of giving that ultimatum. We need to stop and to listen. And you will see how much we need to hold our talk to this standard of love. And how often truth we profess to speak has been distorted by our sin. So, so that a fool is self-destructive. They are someone who oftentimes speaks evil. But they also are oftentimes presumptuous in their speech. Look at verse 14, and, and you see there that a fool is someone who's quite opinionated. They, they tend to be big talkers, and for some reason a fool is seldom content to keep his folly to himself, but he has to share it with everybody. So oftentimes his words are, are multiplied, and a fool goes on and, and on and on and on and on and talks, even when he doesn't really have anything to say. And and one of the many things that a fool likes to talk about is the future. And they talk about the future as if they know what's going to happen. And uh, even though it says here, and who can tell him what will be after him? Nobody knows the future, but a fool talks as if he does. So if we're wise, we will follow the counsel, I think, of James, where he talks about, you know, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. A fool doesn't understand that sense of humility of holding the future with an open hand. And then as we come to the end of the chapter in verses 15 through 20, Solomon sort of talks about a lot of different things. But one of the things he talks about is our work. And he talks about how a a fool is a lazy person, a lazy person who gets worn out by his work. Now, that's not because he's given a good, honest day's work, but and because he's working hard, but because he's fooling around when he ought to be working. And we probably all know people like that. And, and this is an important insight, I think, for someone who quickly gets tired of working but never has very much to show for his work. And kids, maybe you're like this. Do you ever say this to your parents? Oh, I'm so tired of dusting the house. Do I have to mow the lawn again? And, and you take all your time complaining and, and yet you don't get much work. I mean, we, I think we all know people who work twice as hard trying to get out of work as they do if they would just do the job. And you think, man, you're exerting a whole lot more energy. And so they get worn out. But the wise person is energized by the work that the Lord has given us to do. But we see the, the end in verse 18 of the lazy person as he talks about 
an, an image of, of a house that's collapsing because of, of the laziness, which shows us that, um, that sloth or laziness is a deadly sin. It will destroy the soul that's lazy to seek its own spiritual progress. Um, but that's not all it will destroy. It will destroy many things as well. As we, as we come to this chapter, uh, I, I hope it encourages us to see that, that the great destruction that there is in folly. Uh, but I think we also, though, can draw great hope from this, not because any of us could just flip a switch and say, you know what? In those things that I am tempted to be foolish, I'm now going to be wise, Pastor Rick. This week, it's going to be different. Actually, this week, it's not going to be different. We're going to struggle with the same things that we struggle with. But as we think about what Paul said to the Corinthians, they were a church that was seeking wisdom. But they weren't seeking the wisdom of God. They were seeking earthly wisdom. They were seeking to be people of reputation. They wanted to be in the in crowd. Oh, you? Oh, you're of Apollos? Oh. Well, I'm in Paul's group. You know, I'm, I'm like more spiritual than you are. They wanted to be seen that way. They wanted to be seen as people who used their spiritual gifts in such a way that people would recognize how spiritual they were and they would get accolades and they would they would be proud. And yet Paul says to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the very first chapter, the 24th verse, he says, Christ is the power of God. And the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. You see, um, Jesus Christ is, is the one who, who shows us the wisdom of God. He has come to accomplish uh, the Lord's work. But Jesus discerned and he performed God's will. If you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus said, It is my food to do the will of the Father. And, and so, so while we might struggle with wisdom and we might struggle with folly, Jesus Christ is perfect in everything he does. And he always does the will of the Father. And, and he always achieves his glorious purpose. And if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, he said, Yet among the mature... We do not impart wisdom, although it is not, excuse me, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear have heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person 
does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, he is saying that that God gives us the wisdom through Christ, that he... He has given us the very Spirit of God that has given us this Word. As we read God's Word, as we wrestle with these things, as we pray and ask God to make these things a reality, it is possible because it is the Spirit of God that gives us these words and applies the benefits of the Gospel of Jesus Christ to our hearts. And so those things that we wrestle with that are foolishness in our lives are are able to change And to give way to wisdom because it is the Spirit of God that works in us. Amen? And so we come this morning as His children to give praise to Him. To know that uh, He will continue to work in our hearts. You know, if God had given us uh, salvation through earthly wisdom, then only the intellectually elite could be saved. But, But praise God, He gave us the gospel through the power of the cross, which means that the gospel is available to every single person. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning as we pray. Father, we thank you for the word that you have given to us. And we thank you that there is a hope in, in, in our hearts as we, as we hear these words to know that you have begun a good work in us and you are continuing that work. But Lord, let us, let us not be foolish in, in, in hearing the gospel in thinking then, God, we don't have to walk in these things. But I pray that we would instead give ourselves and avail ourselves of, of your grace that you give to us each and every day through the Father and through the Son and through the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you would make us wise people, that you would make us a wise church. Lord, I particularly pray for our kids and our our young people, but really for all of us of all ages, that, that we would not give way to foolishness, that we would not be duped by the things that we hear the world say about these things, you know, where people are being sexually, um, irresponsible and yet the world never shows the consequences of such things or where people are angry and selfish and and greedy and yet never showing the consequences of the loneliness that oftentimes comes in these things but lord we know that ultimately these things dishonor you so help us to live lives god in such a way that would glorify you and lord maybe we find our true satisfaction and contentment in that we thank you and pray these things in your name amen